Ladies and gentlemen, this is entitled Weekend. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Entitled Weekend, six days after the massacre in Miami, um, or at least that's what we've been hearing over the last week. It's it's probably some of the worst reaction to a loss I think I've ever seen in the, I would say, 27, 28 years as a Patriots fan. I think it's probably been the worst I think I've ever seen a reaction. And I don't know, a lot of it has to do with, with social media but I can't say that because the way the way the uh, Boston media has covered this game, this one game in week one, it's it's been absolutely over the top. And uh, Dan, I want to go to you first. And welcome back, by the way. Is it, is it just me, or is it the worst you've ever seen too? Because I just don't understand. One week has just has everyone. In a tizzy. Yeah, I, I think you guys talked about it a little bit on the first pod. It's just basically, you know, I, I haven't heard this type of talk since 2014. I think maybe Rob said it, you know, and that, that was after the Chiefs game. And, uh, you know, they're not good anymore from Tredilfer, quote. Um, that was bad, but I feel like this is so much worse on so many different levels. Um you know, like, uh, was, you know, you have Bedard, you have Curran, you have Volan. Yeah, you guys named a bunch before the pod started. You got Chad Finn. You have all these people I don't even know existed in the in the media market are coming in just to take their their chance at a swing after one game, one game, and. I also feel like this preseason was the biggest emphasis on training camp ever. I've never heard training camp count so much as it does this season, why it's so important this season um, and how the coaches are a mess. You know, the, the Matt Patricia, the Joe judge, how that's preventing this team from excelling. Um, we can talk about it a little bit more of the game specifically, but I could not believe, you know, I watched the game and it was, you know, I was defeated at times watching that game, but at the same time, it wasn't as bad or as much of a runaway as the score led you to believe. And I think that just shows a lot of the fans and media don't actually watch the entire game. Um, I think we live in a red zone generation where folks are more interested in the highlights and, and flipping back and forth versus truly watching every down in a Patriots game because it's not as exciting. It's not as fun. It's boring because they play boring football. As Greg Bedard said, we set the football back 20 years with our offense. I mean, this is ridiculous hyperbole people are using. And I don't know. I just saw a lot of different things than what everyone else. Yes, we lost the game. Things, the O-line is not good, but altogether, I think it's not as bad as everyone's making it out to be. But it is the worst I've I've heard in a long time. And Rob, it's 
and and Dan was talking about this in our chat uh, about what we're going to talk about. This team, in two, this team, this twenty uh, twenty two Patriots team, even though it's only one week, and yeah, there's still uh, seventeen more weeks to go in the season. It the team actually the, the, the way the, the way that it started. You, there are different things that they're doing that these that the coaches are trying to implement, and there are different things that they're trying to achieve. That obviously they still have a long way to go, but you can see that they're doing they're trying to do better in the run defense. They're using two tight end sets more. They're they got their the speed on defense is really evident. The the uh, the secondary, you know, there's so many factors that are going that are evolving and changing, but everyone's so quick to just throw the baby with the bathwater and say, ah, no, team sucks, that's it. Are, are you noticing that too, or is it just me? Well, absolutely am I noticing that. Yeah, definitely. I think I've never seen um, a media establishment sort of react with as much glee over one loss as this one, as this you know, the, the Patriot immediate collective, it's really, it, you know, we had talked about 2014 before and we talked about the uh, chiefs game. At least I'll give them credit for this. That chiefs game was an absolute route. That chiefs game wasn't close from the beginning. It was, you know, I think they were down like, you know, huge right out of the gate and they were turning the ball over. I mean, it, I think the final of that game was 44 to 14 and it really didn't even feel that close. I mean, that was an absolute ass beating. This Miami game was the was not. Oh, in their building, and you know, I did the Patriots play well? No, I don't think the Patriots played well at all. Um, but. I don't think it was completely horrendous. I thought the defense was pretty good. Um, overall, they gave up 13 total points. They only gave up three points in the second half, you know, which was fine. You know, they scored seven points, so they outscored them 7-3 in the second half. Um, I just think it came down to, as Belichick said, it came down to those three plays. It came down to the uh, the strip sack fumble for a touchdown, and it came down to that touchdown they gave up right before half. You know, those those two plays essentially cost them the game. And those are two very correctable plays, very fixable plays. But overall, I thought the defense was really, really good. I thought the defense is better this year than they were last year. And um, so I'm actually, you know, looking forward to seeing this team moving forward. I don't think they're, you know, all of a sudden the sky's falling, but I think they want the sky to be falling. That's the difference. They, they predicted it was going to fall. And, you know, and some people in the fan base too, this is what drives me bananas most at all, but the fan base would rather have their prediction about this team stinking be right than have this team be good. And that's really disheartening. But I thought Kyle Duggar was unbelievable in that game. And just to tell you all you need to know about the Patriots media, Phil Perry did one of those idiotic stock up, stock down things. And he put Kyle Duggar in his stock down after the Dolphins game. And I thought Duggar was arguably the best player on the field. So um, I, I think it's completely, you know, insanity it's complete insanity to me to, to sit back and watch the reaction to this one game. And, you know, we'll see how it goes moving forward. But, uh, you know, I, I took, I thought there were a lot more positives to take away than obviously the, the Boston media contingent did. So that was kind of my takeaway on the game. 
and to, to Rob's point there, the, the three plays that Bill was talking about, suddenly, oh, I've never heard Bill make excuses like that before. When did he start making excuses for his team? And, and I thought to myself, that was probably the most honest Bill or an open Bill has been with the media that they beg him to be. And when he is, they immediately attack it. So I, th- maybe that's why Bill doesn't say more <laughs> than he usually does. Um, examples like that. And to, to that point, both of you made about the, the stuff that went under the radar, I felt that the fans especially complained about last season that they wanted. They wanted more tight end sets. They wanted more Jonu. They wanted more... Um, they wanted more from the secondary, more speed. They wanted, they wanted guys like Dietrich Wise to be bigger contributors, and he was he was probably next to Duggar, under under the radar too. Just one of the best players on the field. He was disruptive. He was a magnet to the ball. Um, you can tell he's gotten bigger in the offseason. He's he might be faster. Um, I think he's a great complement to Judon, to Barmore, uh, to Gotchow on that line. Um, like you said, Duggar, I think Adrian Phillips looks great and I'm glad that it wasn't a serious injury, um, that he sustained. And just like the one play I'll give Miami credit for was the Waddle touchdown. It was a great, uh, chalked up play that they did that just slipped through. It it was, it was sort of a perfect execution, but otherwise Tua was not good. (laughs) Don't let just the box score, uh, confuse you if if that's what you are. These fans that I feel don't really watch the game and they box they box score cherry pick and do that sort of thing. He was terrible. I mean there were so many throws that were out of bounds. He was missing receivers completely. Uh he's lucky on that one throw Tyreek Hill he was wide open but he had to come back for it. Um and and to that point the Patriots did a fantastic job even though he did do some damage they contained Tyreek Hill. And, and I think that with the focus after the game, there was two things people were focusing on. Uh, somehow the play calling, when I don't even think that was one of the top three issues in the game, and also Kendrick Bourne and, and the catch. That was sort of the thing that, you know, made everyone the shiny object that distracted everyone. All of a sudden it's like the reason why we lost the game is because you're not playing guys like Kendrick Bourne. Kendrick Bourne plays in that game, you're still not winning that game because the Patriots just shot themselves in the foot too many times. And that was Trent Brown. That was guys just not doing fundamental things. It was the fumble by Aguilar, which is debatable. It was a <laughs> it was a very close uh, call there, uh, him actually doing a football move. Um, and I felt, and everyone knows this, when you go to on the road, you're not going to get the calls. I mean, the, the PI on... Uh, Xavier Howard on Devontae Parker in the end zone and everyone on, on Twitter and everyone saying Mac Jones, you need to do a better job with the throws. I I don't know what else he's supposed to do when a guy's being mugged and has his Jersey clutched in two different spots when the other guy's trying to catch the ball. Um, So I I think there was a lot that was a smoke screen to the casual fan that just goes off what the media is telling them to parrot back to forums and, and social media and things like that. Um, I think if you, like Rob said, you really watched the game, there was a lot of positives, especially things at the end of last season that people were concerned about. They did all the things to improve those areas. 
And now the one area I think we took a step back in is the O-line. But we've heard it a lot the past two weeks is this is an extension of the preseason. And we saw the same thing last season. We've seen the same thing so many times with the Patriots. I mean, you said the Chiefs in 2014 on, on the road, but remember the home game we opened up against the Chiefs and Kareem Hunt went wild in Gillette? It, it, you know, this was similar to me about the overreaction. It's like this team is just not good. Um, when in fact, there's so it's so long to go before we know what teams are good and which are bad. Um, and I think there's a lot more to say about that. But I just want to tag on to those points because I thought they were great. Yeah, I, not only do I, uh, you know, I agree with you a thousand percent, but the two games that popped into my head in terms of early season sort of Patriots sto- t- uh, toe stubbing was, um, uh, I think it was 2018 or 2019, whichever they went down to Jacksonville week two. And it was after they had beat Jacksonville in that AFC championship game in Foxborough. It was the year after. So they went down to Jacksonville and played them in like week two and got absolutely run out of the building. And so that was one game that popped into my head for like an early season sort of toe stubbing. And the other one was when Matt Patricia was coaching the Lions. They went into Detroit on a Sunday night and got beat pretty soundly. Not it wasn't a uh, an insane blowout like the Chiefs game, but, you know, them going in and looking sort of pedestrian in the first month of the season is nothing new. And the media is treating it as though, you know, oh, you know, the Patriots are usually, you know, 10 and 0. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. They're usually two and two, you know, to start the season off. And then they kind of get their sea legs. And then you start to see what they are, like Belichick says, around Thanksgiving. And then they start playing their best football. So this notion that because they lost week one in Miami, by the way, a place they typically have lost since I was a little kid, you know, is suddenly this harbinger of doom. I'm just not buying it. And Dan, you mentioned something about the offensive line and that. I, I, I can, I can, you know, give, uh, I can say that that's probably the weakest portion part of the team at the moment. And, but none of that has to do with Cole Strange or anything that you would think of in that nature. It's an all encompassing thing. But, uh, for, for my money, Cole Strange actually did very well in his, in his first game as a professional. But, you know, you'd never talk about, about things like that because that doesn't matter. And Chuck, he was, he was probably, the best lineman Sunday, he, he, he kept a clean pocket, every pass protect. So, you know, this is, this is another thing that I want to point out is just all the narratives from the off season that people were obsessed about the draft bills drafting. Why would he reach on all these guys? We're not talking about it right now because they did the right things. You're not noticing these guys. It, you know, if Cole strange has a bad game, that, that narrative comes back with a vengeance and we hear it more and more often, but the quieter we are about these narratives, it means all the right things are happening. And that whole, uh, that whole idea that he's bad at drafting kind of goes away and, and no one wants to talk about it until it's easy to point it out early, especially when it's April. Uh, now that it's the real season, no one wants to talk about it anymore. Yeah. And Going back to what you were saying about um, Kendrick Bourne, I think it's time to play our clip. Uh, and Rob put this out here for our for the chat, and this is from uh, uh, Tommy Curran's Patriots talk, aka uh, Tom Brady Senior's uh, b- Bulletin Hour. Uh, 
this this guy, Tommy Curran, he's, he, his his descent continues. Really, it's just been unbelievable. Um, I mean, first of all, never go full fucking Bedard because this is what this clip is, and he's using baseless accusations, unsourced bullcrap, and slander, and this is around Kendrick Bourne and all this fake drama that came around with about dog houses and oh he's in the dog house which to me it's it's first of all it's so dehumanizing to call somebody oh you're in the dog house they're human beings it's not a dog house but anyway um here's that clip from Tommy Curran and listen to development time will tell part of it in fairness is the chemistry of the people around him i hope that some of the free agents who we brought in who didn't perform as high as we would have liked last year will produce this year because they've adjusted to the system and we're making changes to take advantage of what they do best we have a lot of talent that hasn't been tapped into yet in my opinion that's end quote that's robert Kraft. and i look at that and you see Kendrick Bourne on the sidelines not having his abilities tapped into. My understanding is that Robert Kraft was at the game on Sunday. We do know that he was at the game. My understanding also is that it definitely caught his eye that Kendrick Bourne was down for the majority of the game. And my understanding also is I would not bet on that happening again. Also, my understanding is that, look, this is kind of a Matt Patricia issue right now. Kendrick Bourne has reportedly been critical. Albert Breer mentioned that in the offseason. Excuse me, reported that Kendrick Bourne has been critical of the offense, the direction it's going. This is an offense that Bourne was running in the same scheme when he was with San Francisco. Matt Patricia is installing it here. According to Albert Breer, he has at times voiced his displeasure with the way things were going. I also understand that there have been times when he has been a little late for meetings and there was an outgrowth prior to the Carolina game in the preseason that saw him sitting down because of a meeting. We also saw him get kicked out of a practice prior to the Carolina game because he threw a punch and also kicked out of a rep because he didn't have his equipment straight. So there's a lot going on there. I think he's in Matt Patricia's doghouse. I think he's also a talented player. And I also think you have this overarching Robert Kraft edict to, I'm spending money on these guys. Let's get something out of them. Okay. So guys, what's the, what's the, the, uh, the overarching word that he used in that whole clip? Like what are the two words that he used in that whole clip that I heard? My understanding. Thank you. My understanding. <laughs> there's, there's no sources. There, there aren't any, 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 uh, it's my understanding. So just, just, just know from, from, from that, I, that's all I got from that. And there was, there was, so you don't many, actually know anything. There was so many pauses. It was almost like he was trying to make it up on the spot. It's like listening to a kid learning to read for the first time. Uh, it's, just, it's like that. It's like that. Like that gif, you know, of of the of the uh, the boy who's trying to talk, and he's like, "You you wit you 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 wit you wit you wit you wit you wit." Today, Junior. 
Well, I mean, the thing that uh, that he basically there were three things in there that, as far as I know, from what I've read and from multiple reporters who were actually at the Carolina joint practices, there were three things in there that I think are true. If you believe the collective that were there and all the fights that were going on was that Kendrick Bourne did get into a fist fight. He was defending a teammate. He was also thrown out of a rep because there was something equipment raw. He didn't have his pants down far, whatever it was. So those two things happened simultaneously. And then he was, he wasn't even dressed for the Carolina game. So you could, if you want to extrapolate from that, that yes, he got into a fight. Yes. He got thrown out of practice for not having his equipment on. Right. Thus he was suspended or booted out of the Carolina game or whatever. Cause he didn't even dress for that game. If you want to extrapolate there, that's fine. There's still no sources that have told anyone that, that I've ever heard, but where he goes complete bedard is he's in Matt Patricia's doghouse. According to whom? Where on earth did you get that? I haven't heard that from anyone who's credible. Nobody has said that. So he made that part of it completely up, in my opinion. But the coup de grace, the, what really jumped off the, uh, into my ears from that was when he says, I think you have this overarching Robert Kraft edict. I'm spending money on these guys. Let's get something out of them. That is just historically false. When you look back to 2001, Robert Kraft signed Drew Bledsoe to a 10-year, $103 million contract. And if you in the book, The Dynasty, it talks about how close Kraft and Belichick were prior to him signing that contract and after he signed that contract. And then, obviously, we all know Bledsoe gets hurt. Brady comes in. He's just supposed to kind of keep, this, keep the seat warm, keep the, the car on the tracks until uh, Bledsoe comes back. Brady outplays what they presumed he would do. Bledsoe comes back and Belichick gives the job to Brady. Now it says also in the dynasty and that book was highly from the Kraft perspective. So my guess is they get it from Kraft that Bledsoe goes up the back stairs with his $103 million contract and specifically asks Kraft to intervene and say, no, tell Belichick I'm the starting quarterback, not Brady. Now this is Bill Belichick, who is, if you wanted to make the case, then he was on the hot seat. You probably could. He hadn't won a Super Bowl yet. He was wildly under 500. And Kraft didn't do it. He didn't intervene. He had $103 million on the line. He, and he just signed that contract. He did not intervene. He told Bledsoe, football ops decisions belong to Bill Belichick, and I'm not getting involved in them. So that is all documented. Everybody knows that. That is all documented. But now, 21 years and six Super Bowl rings later, Tom Curran expects us to believe now, Robert Kraft's intervening with Kendrick Bourne and his three-year, $15 million deal that he signed with two years left on it. And I looked it up, a $4 million de total dead cap hit if they were to cut him. Now, I'm not saying they should cut him. I like Kendrick Bourne. I think he's going to be a big part of this team. But if he's not going to intervene after signing a, a franchise quarterback to $103 million, he's going to intervene on a $5 million a year wide receiver? That's what that's what that is complete Bedard level grade A bullshit that we, and, and the fact that and Curran has to know that Curran's a lot of things, but he's not stupid, but he thinks we're stupid enough to believe that. Get out of it. To me, as far as I'm concerned, Tom Curran, your career is over. That was it. You're never coming as far in my eyes. You're never coming back from that. If you expect any of us to believe that Robert Kraft put down an edict on Bill Belichick over Kendrick Bourne. Get out of here with that shit.
What I love the most about this entire situation is, first of all, it's it's fucking remarkable that a guy, you know, he's holding himself to. I'm a journalist. I I I, I report to you. The fact that he goes on a unsubstantiated rant, and wasn't he caught lying about Trey Lance like a couple weeks ago? Breer, yeah, his Breer. only source in there was Albert right. Breer. Albert Breer, that was his only source. So Albert Breer, you know, menacing his himself, um, he uses his, his, him as a source. So that's number one. And number two, I guess Bill Belichick is supposed to play, and this is the um, the fans' complaint. Oh, Kendrick Bourne should have played. Well, okay, so I guess first of all, I guess he's, Bill Belichick is supposed to throw all disciplinary matters away and just say, hey, Kendrick Bourne, it's all right. You can do whatever you want, and you can also play too. So it, it, I just think it, I just think, I just find it hilarious that the the insults that Bill Belichick doesn't know what he's doing after 21 years is that that is a thing. And number two, these rumors that become they 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 become fact, and it's 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 done damage to a lot of people. And but I, but I, I said it before, it only does damage to the people who it who are stupid enough to have it happen. And hopefully that isn't isn't anyone who's listening to this podcast or in Titletown, or who's smart enough to realize that these people are not are, they're trying to play you for a fool. But if you're if you're dumb enough to believe something like this. Then I'm sorry, you you just you're just not you're ready for this, kid. And I think to to Rob's point, like Robert Kraft, not only all that about Bledsoe and everything, this guy's like two scotches in all the time at these games. Do you really think he he's that <laughs> into what is going on, and he actually is going <laughs> to say anything about what's going he's, on? He's over there wear, wearing you know Patriot uh, Nikes with uh, taking pics with Meat Mill. <laughs> This dude was like a couple of years ago was down the street in Miami getting a massage in an HJ. Like what, what are we doing here? Like he doesn't have that much impact on the operation. I, he has the keys fully with bill and bill, you know, decides and dictates, disseminates, whatever to his staff and his players, the way he sees fit based upon what he sees as the greatest coach of all time that people want to keep either, taking that title away or lessening it or showing all these stats about how he's really not that good, Brady versus Bill, all that stuff. The other thing in that whole piece where he's, you know, Kern is pulling this stuff out of his ass, basically. Um, I mean, anyone that talks like that doesn't sound like you were really, you really had the full grasp of what is really going on. You didn't really have legit sources. This is literally your opinion or just a story you want to make up that will get you noticed. Um, Jeff Howe tweeted that the big issue with Kendrick Bourne and the coaching staff wasn't the coaching and it wasn't the play calling. It was targets. And, you know, usually when a wide receiver is being a crybaby about targets, we usually shun that on social media and people say, you know, grow up, you're being a prima donna, you know, like a Odell Beckham Jr., you know, one of those, um, Come on, man. You're a Patriot. You know the deal. And I think he just was a little probably taken aback that he couldn't do whatever he wanted. And there was discipline and consequences. And to people that say it doesn't matter, play him anyways, there's got to be discipline in a good football team. Because if you don't, you lose the whole football team. And as a coach, if you don't 
dole that out to some extent. And, I, and the other thing is, who's believing Matt Patricia's doling out punishment? An assistant coach comes back in his first year, it's back to the team, and he's putting people in a doghouse? It's Bill's team. So Bill probably decided if there was anything connected to punishment, it was Bill. And rightfully so. I mean, he sounds like a kid in high school, the way he was showing up, not having the right equipment, throwing punches, um, not doing his job when he was on the field in those moments. And I think what happened in this game was he was given a chance with the way the, the game was going. He took advantage of it, and now the coaches say, look, you're earning your way back. It's not so much anyone had a say in that and said, I saw my guy down there that you spent all this money on. I want him to get more involved. That's not what happened. It's We all saw what happened. Yeah, you're finally making the plays you should again, and you're going to get back into the lineup and get those targets that you were crying about. So to everybody, this is being so blown out of proportion. I mean – Look at the Giants and what's going on with Tony over there. Like the, the wide receiver who is better than Kendrick Bourne. He, he's excellent. He can, he's shifty. He's fast. He catches the ball. And they're totally mishandling that. I think what happened here with Kendrick Bourne is a little bit more self-explanatory versus these other teams in the league that for some reason no one wants to talk about. And in terms of the Patriots and the lack of offense, did anyone watch the Cowboys? Did anyone watch the Packers? Did anyone watch these national teams? And I mean, even the Tampa Bay Bucks looked very mortal. You know, when he doesn't have all his superstar wide receivers, Tom Brady at 45 doesn't look like Tom Brady anymore. So I, I think a lot of people are, you know, tuned into the wrong things. And I think that's why we're here. And that's why we're, we're discussing this now. Like, this is silly. Like, we're, the biggest problem that we should be talking about is getting the O-line to communicate to fix these other fundamental, hold on to the ball. Um, you know, there's certain things that just aren't going to go your way too. I think, I think the, for instance, the Devonte Parker turned into an interception there. That's just a, that's a, you know, tough break. You didn't get the call. You should have got the call, but we can't whine about it. It is what it is. Um, I think if you look at that game, like we said before, and everything that happened, um, did, we're focusing on the wrong things right now with Kendrick Board. And Kern just likes to pile on to find little holes. This guy must have had, I don't know if Matt Patricia had sex with his wife or or what happened, but he has a vendetta for that guy. And I don't know what it is. Um, I think people are upset that Bill is doing something so unconventional in their eyes in terms of didn't name a coordinator. He's got Matt Patricia back and Joe Judge, who were not good head coordinators. Uh, but our head coaches, and of course, um, for some reason, that means they're not going to be good as assistants again. Josh McDaniels was a failed head, head coach. Bill O'Brien's a failed head coach. I mean, there's plenty of examples of that coaching tree not being good. You guys talk about it all the time. <laughs> for some reason, when these guys are assistants, oh, we have to talk about how that's going to hurt the team. I don't think that, you know, I think Matt Patricia is just an easy target. He's an easy scapegoat um, for what's really what really needs to be fixed. And it's not him. Uh, let's just say that. I think Bill has complete control still. And I think we're going to see that starting this week with the Steelers. Yeah. And it makes Wasn't sense. Wasn't Bob that... Kraft sitting up there with uh, Mike Tyson during the Dolphins game? Didn't I see that? <laughs> yeah, they were probably, yeah. They were probably high off their ass. I mean, I bet they smoked like a J. Right. Where they got into the box. I mean, 
they were just talking about how Mike Tyson was just smoking weed with Ric Flair the other day. So, like, I, I doubt Bob's yeah, Bob was really tuned into the game. He's so ecstatic. He's, he's Mike Tyson is ecstatic. But anyway, um, yeah. So it's it's an unbelievable uh, sort of events. And speaking of Matt Patricia, um, I want to talk about something else that came up this week because of the, all the reaction and all the people on in on social media and in the media going crazy. Uh, you have uh, Gary Washburn, who is a NBA writer for the Boston Globe. So that's number one. That so you see where the where the allegiances lie. Um, he tweeted out this article. Um, it's behind a paywall, so I recommend you don't get, don't read it. Uh, it says the fact that Bill Belichick brought back Matt Patricia and Joe Judge after both had failed head coaching experiences is a prime example of the cronyism he still holds. Yeah, because nobody has ever brought back a failed coach. And it worked. It, it's never worked. It's never worked in the history of the league. I mean, how many times, right. Uh, but how many times have known plagiarists Ron Borges and Mike Barnacle been hired for the Boston Globe? I mean, how many times have, have, uh, Josh, Josh McDaniels been brought back? He was brought back after the Broncos uh, experience failed. And, and, and now, and now he's the greatest thing since sliced bread in Los in uh, Las Vegas. It, it's it's pretty unbelievable. You want to talk about people who are not supposed to be in the position there? And look at Ben Bolin, who is the lead NFL writer. And this guy has no idea how football even works. He he has trouble with basic math and finds it fascinating when he figures out a basic math equation. I mean, this guy at one point I remember thought Jordan Richards was finally being moved to defensive end. I mean, he, he has no clue what he's watching, and yet they're ragging on a guy who is very educated in football. The guy was a rocket scientist. He played offensive line. Um, all People don't realize that when you get brought up in coaching, you're not stuck in one area unless you are a former player. That's that's what you want to specialize in starting out, like Wes Welker with wide receivers, you got Byron Lefwich with quarterbacks. I mean, even though I, I hate him, uh, Porter there with Pittsburgh with, with linebackers. So like these guys come in, they learn the whole game. They learn all phases of the game and they can coach any one of them really if they wanted to, as, as long as they have somewhat of a fundamental grasp of how it works. And then you have Bill who just because he's a defensive mastermind, it doesn't mean he doesn't know how the offense works. I mean, like, what are we doing here? He, he, he hones in on the operation. They've even said he's been with the offense more this season knowing this. And at the end of the day, that's why he's not naming these coordinators because it's still Bill's team. Bill is focused, you know, and again, it goes back to Kraft. Like, Kraft knows that. He he feels comfortable knowing it's still in his hands. So this whole hot seat thing, this whole, you know, there, there's a rift with the coaching and ownership and um, that they're making them do certain things. It's all bullshit, like Rob said. We're, we're just We're just <laughs> – trying to make headlines. This is all clickbait, all that sort of stuff like usual. Um, I think we should be, like I said, focus on the Steelers and I think this is going to be a good bounce back game uh, for the Pats. Yeah, the the whole notion of Belichick bringing back Patricia and uh, Joe Judge as cronyism. I mean, 
again, it just goes back to, you know, if you're covering the team, you should be at least, you know, aware to a certain degree of the history. You've had the same coach to look at for 20 plus years. How do you not learn his mannerisms, learn his style, learn what matters to him, learn what doesn't matter to him? We're fans. We know this. You know, and I think the one thing that we can tell after watching Belichick for as many years as we've watched him, culture matters. It matters to him. It matters that that players and coaches and everyone in the organization understands the culture, understands the way they do things. There's a a great documentary on HBO. Um, It features Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. It's called like I think it's called The Art of Coaching. And there's a great clip where Saban and Belichick are talking and Saban says to Belichick, you know, I know you don't do this and I know I don't do this, but he said, I see it all over the place in college and in the NFL where, you know, coach X uh, needs an offensive coordinator and he'll go out and he'll just grab this hot offensive coordinator and bring him in to do what he does, not to do what we do. That's Saban talking to Belichick and Belichick's like nodding in complete agreement with him. You know, and Saban's point was, you know, we're not going to bring in some mercenary coach just to come in and redo everything that we've spent all this time building this foundation of offense the way, you know, and Saban even says, you know, there's a hundred guys in this building who know what we call things. We're not going to change it for one person. You come in, you learn how we do things and then adapt. And the easiest way to do that is by promoting within, you know, and uh, there's Patriots joint practices during the preseason. When they were interviewing McDaniels, uh, McDaniels, I think it was Phil Perry, who still won't get off of the, you know, well, you know, how's the communication between coach and quarterback? You know, he's still on that. But he asked Josh McDaniels about this. You know, what do you think about Belichick handing the keys of the offense over to Matt Patricia? And McDaniels recounted a story about when he handed the keys of the offense over to him in that press conference to Phil Perry and all the other Boston media that were sitting there where Josh McDaniels says, you know, I coached defense for my first, whatever it was, three or four years there. Then I coached offense for one year. And then Belichick basically handed me the play sheet and said, you're calling plays now. And McDaniels even said, I wasn't 100% sure I was ready, but he saw something that I didn't see. And then we see how that all played out. So, you know, I think it's pretty safe for us to assume that Bill Belichick knows what he's doing. I think it's pretty safe for us to assume that after 47 years of coaching in the NFL, he's seen just about everything. He's seen good offensive coordinators. He's probably seen really shitty offensive coordinators. I think he knows what he's looking for. And I think the culture of the team and the way they've been doing things for 20 some odd years, which has produced the most success of any franchise in professional sports, is more important to him than just reaching outside the organization and hiring, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan or whoever the hot offensive coordinator is. He doesn't operate that way. He's never operated that way. Heard of him. Why is this? I just don't understand why this is such a surprise. Yeah. I don't understand why this is such a surprise to people. You know, like they maybe he'll bring back Bill O'Brien. Well, he's not going to bring back Bill O'Brien. He's perfectly comfortable having two guys who are head coaches. And then you hear Matt Castle talk about Matt Patricia. And he's like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. He knows offense. He played under him in Detroit. He's like, he knows what he's doing. You know, it's just, it's remarkable. It's really, to me, it's remarkable that these guys either haven't been paying attention or they're pretending that they haven't been paying attention, one or the other. I don't know what's worse. And to that point, even Curran was saying, and Curran and Bedard said the same thing. They said, yeah, you know, because he's a defensive coach, he's trying to reverse engineer to figure out his play calling. Really? Do you think that's what he's doing? (laughs) Or is he just, he's just doing offensive play calling? Like, let's, let's just... 
let's just stop with the BS. Do you think he's going to, that smart of a guy's going to be like, I'm going to do this the hardest way possible. I doubt it. That Those are fans crying right now. You know what? Uh, Bedard, say that out loud. Just say that out loud before you say it on TV, before you write it in a column. Say it out loud and listen to how idiotic that sounds and then see if it'll work. Perfect segue at this point. I just want to mention probably one of the dumbest things I saw on Twitter this week, and that's really difficult to do, um, was fans complaining about Barmore's snap count in Miami in 100-degree heat, uh, 6'5", over 300 pounds, when every single lineman they have, defensive lineman, God Chow, uh, Guy and him, all were in the 50-ish percentage, 50 to 60% snaps, which he averaged last season. And people are complaining to fire Bill because he's not playing Barmore enough. That is insane. What are we doing? Like, the kid, second year, but... I mean, I think they did that on the offensive line, too. That's what Cole Strange said. They said they were trying to rotate guys to give some breaks. I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever played football in that kind of heat, in, in humidity. Uh, and I, I I can guarantee you no one listening and uh, no one on this pod has done it at that level, for sure. Um, it's That's extremely difficult, even no matter what your conditioning is. And... I think only the peak condition guys are out there for the majority of snaps. Um, I mean, the offense has to be, you know, really dogging it at times. It seemed like there was a couple moments that they were gassed, um, especially in the first half. And I think they, they had a bounce back and, you know, they were doing some things right in the second half uh, too, too little too late. Um, but like, what are we doing here, folks? Like we're complaining about Kendrick Bourne. We're complaining about Barmore. It's like, you just didn't watch the game. You, you, these people who flip channels to watch other games because, you know, this isn't exciting enough. And, you know, you're not paying attention to the details. And, and, and I think if you really paid attention, you notice our defense is better. The run defense has improved. I mean, no one went on any crazy runs in this game. Like people were complaining about last season, with like Jonathan Taylor uh, and guys of, of that nature. Um, you know, they have a good running back core, uh, on the Miami Dolphins. A lot of great guys that kind of fit McDaniel's scheme of that 49ers offense too. Um, I just think they got, there was a couple lucky breaks going either direction. Um, but I'm excited because I, you know, t- to Rob's point earlier, they're going to build on that. I think they're going to keep building. And as long as they kind of figure things out on offense, this team's going to be fine. They'll be, they'll be just fine. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see this week. And uh, the, the Steelers, uh, the Patriots have traditionally done well at at uh, whatever the, whatever they're calling it, whatever that stadium is, Heinz Field, whatever it's called. They've traditionally done well there. And, you know, save for a couple of games. And I, I'll be very interested to see how they bounce back. And this is a team that we're still a little – unsure of, of how, if they have that type of ability, that bounce back ability. And I, I believe that they will, but I'm just curious on to how they achieve that. And um, a lot of that is going to in, entail with, I believe the running game, we were talking about this before we started uh, with uh, Ramadre Stevenson and, you know, hopefully getting him more involved and getting, 
Damian Harris more involved too. So I, I think it's going to be a run, a run heavy game, especially considering that, uh, one of the uh, camera brothers, I mean, the, the Watt brothers, uh, is out. So, you know, that, that definitely helps. Um, obviously they still have, uh, guys like Cam Hayward and guys like that who are, you know, pretty dangerous, but it's, it, it's going to help out a lot. And I, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how they approach. I think. I think, too, I think the running game is going to be important. I also think more play action is going to be seen. Um, they need to keep – this is the type of defense you need to keep on their toes and get gassed pretty quick, um, and especially with guys like Fitzpatrick, who, you know, he had a hell of a game last week against the Bengals. Uh, we know he's he's always been really good, if not great, uh, and, and Hayward, obviously. Um, those are their strong points on their, their defense right now, and I think they're going to just – Go right at him. Go smash. I mean, I think when you play Pittsburgh, you go smash mouth most of the time. I feel like all the times we face them, barring like a couple games off the top of my head, it's always been that kind of grind. And I think that's what the Pats are going to get back to. And and I think they'll be more slice and dice. Um, you know, I think that works for them. I think these little wheel routes or these screens uh, with the running backs and tight ends, I think they work. I think that was shown even Aguilar on, on one last week. Um, I think they were the, the extension of the preseason, as we said before. I think they were seeing the things that are – they're building on the things that work, and, and hopefully they, they're going to install more of that this week. Um, but I, I think people need to just chill out for a month. Let's get to October before we have some real reactions. Um, but it's just so easy to pounce on someone when they're 0-1. There's a lot of teams. Half the teams are 0-1. <laughs> That's just a fact. And it doesn't mean all those 0-1 teams are going to stay at that level of uh, a losing record throughout the season. That's silly. But, of course, we live in a world today where it's reactionary, it's knee-jerk, and uh, social media, everything's just put your thoughts out there unfiltered uh, without thinking. Uh, and, unfortunately, we see that too much. Um, I, I, you know, I bet people wish there was an edit but- button or people couldn't bookmark or take screenshots because there's a hell a lot of that going on, at least with, with our group too, is, is bookmarking. Cause the same thing happened last season, beginning of the season, people were saying all this nonsense about how, you know, spent all that money. It was a waste. Um, and just didn't give this team time to become what they are. And I think to Rob's point and Shaq's point, I think the way you respond tells a lot about your team. And if this isn't a must win, even though it's must win season already, um, can't believe we're, we're already there. Uh, but it's really about your character. And I think those are the teams we always love, uh, you know, season to season. The teams that stick out are the ones that respond well to adversity. And, uh, you know, last season they were a great road team. And I think that's going to continue this year. Miami is, is a hell house. I mean, that's always been the case. And it's just like Denver was in previous years. Uh, even Baltimore has a little bit of that when we go on the road to Baltimore. But I think, you know, get that one out of the way. It sucks. It's hot, but they'll figure things out. Yeah. Um, to your point about the, uh, the Steelers game tomorrow, the, uh, I, I think Mike Tomlin's a really good coach. It took a, a few years for him to grow on me, but um, yeah, I'm sold on Mike Tomlin. I, he just, constantly gets it done no matter what 
you know, sort of adversity he gets thrown his way, whether it's, you know, he's got Mason Rudolph at quarterback, whatever it is, he still manages to go 500, squeak into the playoffs, whatever it may be. But the one thing about um, the Steelers in general, and I don't know whether this is just a Tomlin Steelers or whether it's just a Steelers thing in general, because I know they kind of keep the same things in place. Um, schematically speaking, their defense has struggled covering tight ends. And uh, Gronk used to eat them alive. Now, I know that's Rob Gronkowski, who's a Hall of Fame tight end, but uh, I'd be really, uh, I'm really kind of excited to see how the Patriots incorporate the Hunter Henry, John Smith tandem against this team. Um, and then also on the other side of the ball, I mean, let's not forget that's Mitch Trubisky playing quarterback for the Steelers, you know? So uh, I'm curious to see. I think as long as the Patriots don't turn the ball over and don't do catastrophic things like give up you know 50 yard touchdowns right before halftime and get strip sacks that you know result in touchdowns as long as they don't do anything like that I think they win the game um but I'm really interested to see how you know how the John Smith Hunter Henry how they kind of incorporate the tight ends and then uh, I, I think you're going to see some deep shots too uh, I think you're going to see some Kendrick Bourne, maybe Aguilar type deep shots as well. But um, yeah, I really, the, the line is really curious on this game. I noticed it on Monday when I first popped open um, my DraftKings and FanDuel apps, I was expecting the Steelers to be anywhere from three and a half to five and a half point favorites. And the Patriots were favored by a point and a half on Monday, which it was just one of those lines that kind of makes you scratch your head. We used to call them, uh, you know, when I used to gamble, a lot, we used to call them too good to be true lines where you just, you know, you stay away from them, you know, because clearly Vegas knows something that you don't know. Um, and so I thought, I was talking to a friend of mine, we thought the line would go the other way and eventually it would be even or maybe the Steelers laying a point. It's gone the other way. The Patriots are now two and a half point favorites. So I don't know. I, I'm really like, I am way too confident that they're going to win this game and I need to kind of ratchet that down a little bit just to kind of hedge <laughs> my emotional well-being. <laughs> so but that's no, no, you got you gotta you gotta go into it thinking like this is this is the end and then we'll be pleasantly surprised we're supposed to think this is the end of of the patriots as we know it um but to, to your point uh you know it mitch trubisky like people are acting like they actually did pretty well offensively. they were not good last week on offense their defense just played really well against the Bengals. i mean mitch trubisky was was he even he was like a little over 50 percent completion uh, he threw for under 200 yards, and their running backs averaged like two and a half yards per carry. So I, I don't think – I think with this defense, and I think it's better than last season, in my opinion, yeah, we lost J.C. Jackson, but if you watched the other night, yeah, we didn't lose a lot. Um, I still think this defense is tenacious, and, and they can get after it. Um, I don't think their line is the Steelers' offensive line we're used to. So I think there, there's, there's shots to take here. Uh, and, and to your point, TJ Watt had a sack and an interception last game. He's not playing, and that's a big piece of their defense, and I think they're going to go at the middle of the field, the tight ends, the, the running backs, you know, born. And, and I, I think it's, it's funny. I think it's, it's a coincidence that the timing of this game with the born thing, because I think this is a born and Myers type game, I think – Parker and Aguilar are going to be super valuable and, and underrated in how they're using this game to attract uh, safeties like Fitzpatrick and get them open the top downfield and, and open up the middle of the field. Um, I think that that's kind of going under the radar. Um, and I think to the point of um, 
our defense, uh, I just think yeah, they're going to rattle Mitch. And, and like you said, you shouldn't get this overconfident, but I think Tua was a little bit more unexpected. I think they had some some pieces to their game. We weren't really sure how they were going to do it with Hill. Um, and I think there's less of that mystery with the Steelers. Um, and I think they're lucky they beat the Bengals because of their defense. I mean, they went into overtime. I, I don't think this is as big of a juggernaut as the media is going to make it out to be. Well, uh, looking at the, the game last week, the Steelers-Bengals game, the Bengals turned the ball over five times. The Steelers were plus five in turnovers, and they were still two. Evan McPherson missed two field goals that still would have beat them, even though they were plus five in turnovers. And the uh, the Bengals' time of possession was 43 minutes. They turned the ball over five times and still had the ball for 43 minutes to the Steelers' 26. So, I mean, what are we doing? Like, that? that's – that's cl- imagine if that were the Patriots. Imagine if the Patriots turned a team over five times and still almost got doubled up in time of possession and, and should have lost the game, what we'd be hearing this week about their offense. And I think, I think to that point, like, how many mistakes they made – it, it kind of makes Joe Burrow, everyone said, oh, then he threw for like 340 yards and two touchdowns. Like, that, that's a real quarterback. It's like, he was forced to do that. You don't, that's not a good thing. Yeah, that, that 340 yards, two touchdowns, a great response. But at the same time, that's sort of a, a misleading stat, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing how, we all look at things in, in capsules and don't really articulate. Like you said, Dan, in the beginning, we don't look at things as a whole. We just take things as as small small bites, and we need to start looking at the entire uh, faction. And I guess that starts. I guess that starts tomorrow, hopefully. But I don't have any hope for these fans. Um, uh, let's get into final thoughts. Um, I, I'll I'll let you go first, Rob. What's your final thought? Okay. Um, so on this podcast, a lot of the time we spend um, basically telling you which assholes there are in the Patriots media and which guys you shouldn't be paying any attention to. <clears throat> My final thought, I'm going to give you two guys that I, I – I know we're not supposed to vouch, but I'm vouching for two guys in the Patriots media tent. One is Mike Reese, who just – continues to run laps around everybody else in that media tent. He was the the first guy who, when Kendrick Bourne only had the one play and the one reception, who put in his notes, at, which his notes are must-read, by the way, but he put in his notes how many times they ran the two tight end, two wide receiver offense. And he also pointed out how much better of a camp spring and summer that Nelson Aguilar had over Kendrick Bourne. So essentially his you know, he was saying, perhaps instead of pouncing on Kendrick Bourne and telling everybody, you know, what a distraction he is, how about you say maybe Aguilar just might have played better and beat him out? And since they're only running two wide receiver sets so often, Aguilar might be the guy who they chose over Bourne. Whether that remains to be the case over the next, you know, set 16 games, we'll see. But at least he had a theory based on some sort of evidence. And Mike Reese, his notes are fantastic. So I highly recommend Mike Reese to any Patriot fan. The other guy that I'm going to throw out there is Matt Chatham. Matt Chatham's Twitter account is a must-follow for all Patriots fans. He does what we do, 
in terms of pointing out the idiocy of immediate narratives, but he does it in from the, the lens of a former player. And he adds this level of logic and this level of understanding that is sorely lacking in that tent. I think if Mike Reese and Matt Chatham got together and started a podcast, the world would be a better place. That's what I think. So those are the two guys that I recommend listening to ignore everybody else. So that is my final thought. Dan, how about you? What's your final thought? That was my final thought there. If you heard that, <laughs> that, that squeal, stop crying. That, no, that was, that was a squeal of joy. Um, to know that the, the Patriots are done for forever. Um, no, actually, Rob, Rob kind of stole, stole Mike because I was going to make a nod to, to Mike Reese as well. I mean, he's, a, he's our king. Uh, he continues to do all the right things in the media. And I just want to say, someone said this to me the other day, he just reports. How hard is it, man? How hard is it just to report the facts and just leave your opinion out? Because that's what everyone he's, – he's doing objective reporting instead of subjective. And we get too much subjective. I, I don't care what your opinion is as a 150-pound soaking wet, never played a sport in your life reporter. Like, I really don't care. And Tom Curran, who's just walking melanoma slash Tom, Tom Brady Sr.'s juices, like, I don't, I don't give a shit. I, I want uh, to know the facts. I want to know what's really going on. I don't care what you think unless it's sort of a theory based upon those facts uh, that, that Mike Reese summarizes very well. Anyways, my final thought is um, about, you know, I hate to bring up Tom Brady, but, you know, that's a guy with everything that's going on right now. I'm, you know, I love the guy when he was winning Super Bowls here. I thank him for that. But at the same time, I'm good. I'm all set with everything Tom Brady, TB12, all his commercial advertisement business lines he's running. He's he's the most cringeworthy guy when he tries to be cool on social media. And this whole thing with Giselle, boo freaking who? I don't care. Welcome to the real world, man. Like you have small, small first world problems <laughs> compared to everyone else. And you're slowly turning into a robot slash uh, a mannequin at uh, Madame Tussauds uh, wax museum. Like he, he just... Like, I don't feel bad for him at all. Like, you did what you did. And now it's becoming more apparent that it wasn't Brady versus Belichick. It was Giselle versus the both of them. And that's the truth. And everybody who thinks otherwise, you <laughs> were just made upon by the media to peddle their stories. Oh, and lastly, I don't want to steal your thunder, Shaq. Shaq, is your, is your final thought anything to do with Tony Maz? No. <laughs> well, I just want don't to worry. say, don't worry. We don't worry. That book will be in uh, the ninety-nine cent store in a minute. Yeah, I was just gonna say, f you, man. Like to have the audacity, and 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 Mike on the mothership said it very well. To have the audacity, the gall, to put out a book celebrating the city that you've ripped for as long as they've been winning championships. You deserve the worst. <laughs> you deserve the worst, man. Like that is. That's just a snake. He's a complete snake. And if you buy that book, there's something wrong with you. All you radio obsessed fans, there's something seriously wrong with you. And and Tony Mass, yeah, seriously, go go walk into traffic. I don't want to get banned from Twitter again. Somehow they'll, they'll listen to this and ban me for, for telling someone to go off themselves. But uh, yeah, that, those are my final thoughts. Thanks. 
Yeah, if you're if you're not buying that book for anything other than toilet paper, then yeah, you might have a problem. So and, and then with the Brady stuff, it's not our problem anymore, and I'm glad. You know, his his face is all, all plastered all over the daytime shows, and there's a reason why. It's because you've made it that way, Brady. You didn't have to, you didn't have to, but you know, yeah, you, you had to listen to the Yappy Yappa. So there you go. Well, my final thought is thinking about this entire week and thinking about really ever since March, I would say since the preseason began and that article from Washburn really got me to thinking and even more so the reaction. I really, I I don't want the team to lose because I'm a Patriots fan, but I'm thinking more and more that if the team loses, then we win because that means that the media that we rip on and that, you know, it's what we do on this podcast, what we do on the local podcast collaborative, we rip on these people because of the fact, because of the fact that they're so incessantly negative. But if the Patriots lose, that means they lose their relevancy. And me thinking about that, that makes me happy. I can't wait for them to, for them to be irrelevant. And for people to not have to pay attention to them anymore. But really, especially, I'm hoping for when Bill retires, whenever that is, all these media fuckers who have tried their absolute best to tear Bill down, who has spiked, who spiked the football down last week because they lost a, a week one football game. They're going to have to flip the script and talk about how great he is and how he how he changed the game, and there'll never be another coach like him. Whoever replaces Bill Belichick, I don't know who that is, but you know that that's what that's what they're going to be saying. And I, for one, can't wait because then they'll have to acknowledge how stupid they are. And in the moment, they don't see it because they're having fun and they're enjoying being negative because it's clearly getting them ratings, it's getting them clicks, it's getting them any anything they want in the moment. But they'll realize it. When it's when it's too late, but they'll realize how good they had it with Bill Belichick. And you know, again, Mike Reese and Matt Chatham and uh, you know Jim McBride and a couple others, they do they realize it. But all, all but ninety nine percent of the other people they don't. And once he's gone, you know, Joni Mitchell said, "You don't know what you got till it's gone," and you don't know what you got until Bill Belichick's gone. And once he is, you'll realize it. So. I can't wait for that day, honestly. So that's my final thought. Um, if you want to email us, you can email us at entitledweekend at gmail.com or tweet us at entitledweekend. Uh, we will be back next week, hopefully with a much fuller uh, panel. And uh, you can uh, you can uh, tweet at, if you have any qualms at me, you can tweet at atomicdog5150. At, Rob is at hoodiesupremus. And uh, Dan is at Villains and Vibes, uh, but he changes his that every two weeks. So it, it might be something different next week. But until next time, turn off your radio slugs. <laughs>